It's October. A time of ghosts, a time of ghouls, a time for the scariest thing of all, digital transformation. Everybody wants it, your boss, your client, but what does it mean? And how do you make it happen? I'm Chapel Ellison, a digital strategist at Postlight, and on October 20th, I'm moderating a truly bone-chilling panel where I'll be speaking to strategists and industry veterans to figure out what exactly is digital transformation and how do you do it when your resources are limited? We'll be recording live at our office in New York City, and you can RSVP at postlight.com slash events. Join us if you dare. Like, I, I joke I joke. 50% of my job is being a shrink. Right? Like, that's what it feels like. <laughs> oh, it's not so much of a joke, honestly. Yeah, really the software isn't. part is easy. It's the humans that are the hard part. <laughs> the humans are definitely the hard part. It's so true. It's so true. Welcome to the Postlight Podcast. I'm Gina Trapani, CEO of Postlight. And as always, I'm joined by my partner in this business and the president of Postlight, Chris Osako. Hey, Chris. Hey, Gina. How's it going? Happy Friday. Happy Friday. It's going great. Uh, I'm very excited about the guests we have on the show today. Oh, me too. This has been on the calendar for a while. I've been waiting for this one. Yes. If I can sing this person's praises for a minute. Yes. This is the president of the Digital Transformation Services Group within NTT Data, which is the group that we roll up to. Postlight was acquired by NTT Data a few months ago, and we've gotten to know this person. They are incredibly smart and empathetic and a tremendous technology leader. It's been even in the short time that we've known him, it's been great to see how he leads a group of thousands of people to redefine how we approach technology services in the market. Um, he spent nearly 23 years at Accenture, then did a stint at Oracle, and now is at NTT Data. So we are super excited to talk to Aaron Millstone. Welcome, Aaron. Hey, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Gina. That's a super kind welcome, so I appreciate that. <laughs> it's all true. It's all true. You know, when Chris and I were talking to potential acquirers during our, our, our process before our deal closed, you know, so I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it, right? But a, a big factor for me is the people, right? My connection to the people, the people that, that we're talking to and how I feel like, like, oh, is this somebody, somebody that I that I want to work with and who I can and learn from? And Aaron, I mean, and, and I'm not just saying this because you're now basically my boss's boss, for real. <laughs> I'm saying this is true. Maybe a little bit that. Maybe yeah, a little no. bit that. But when I remember when we hung up on a few calls with NTT Data and you were in the group and I remember turning to Chris and saying, okay, that guy, Aaron, that guy is smart and he's good. Like, and I'd like to it. work with him. He gets yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely true. My racquetball coach in college used to say, like, you should always play up play with people who are better than you. Like you will get beat and you'll feel humiliated by that, but you will learn because you'll see them do things that you didn't know were possible. That's a really a driving principle in my career. I always, I never want to be the best one in the room. I always want to play up and, and work with leaders who are who are way ahead of me on their journey. And I really see you as one of those people. And, I, and I'd love to talk about that with you. Well, it's funny because when we when we do acquisitions, right? When we look at companies we want to acquire, the same thought process is going on in my head. <laughs> right. Like I want, I want to surround myself with unbelievably talented, unbelievably good people. And like you said, right. It, it is all, it's all about the people, right. Technology, yes. technology continues to change, but it's, at the end of the day, it's actually kind of all the same. Um, yes. Like what you can do with it becomes increasingly more and more magical, 
but like the the thing that makes this job unbelievably interesting is it's it's the people element of this um, absolutely and, right so that's that's the part that you know gets me excited as well Absolutely. I mean, we're certainly in the people business. I mean, you know, our business is people. We say all the time, even though we're, we're, you know, it's about technology or leading in technology. Sure. So let's rewind a little bit. Take us through your journey, Aaron, as you sort of got off in your career. How did you start at Accenture and you were there for, you know, 20 plus years? Tell us about that experience and the good, the bad, the ugly, like what you're taking from it going forward. So I joined, I joined Anderson Consulting, which automatically dates me. Um, I, I, so. <laughs> Right. But like I joined that out of out of college um, and it was one of those things where, you know, I, I, I'm doing my undergraduate degree. I'm like, OK, I can either go to grad school. Or I can go find a job um, at the time. Right. Like, you know, I didn't know what I was a kid. What, did I, what do I know what I want to go do? Um, yeah. And I see this informational session on campus and I'm like, wow. Right. Like all the all the people that had graduated the year before come back in suits and and and, and sharp outfits right? <laughs> and they and they do this presentation i'm like oh my goodness this consulting thing is incredible um yeah i didn't i didn't even know what it was right I, you know i'm a consultant i don't know what that means so i uh i i you know i, I put in my resume and i get a I, I actually don't get a phone call back like they were like oh we don't know thanks right we don't want to interview you really <laughs> Right, which oh, is that's like, terrible. Oh, it's that happened an awful to me. Feeling. It's an awful <laughs> feeling. I see. Same thing happened to me at Google. I was like, oh, they don't want me. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and but like, it's one of those things. It's like it's in my head. I'm like, boy, I really, really enjoyed that presentation. I got excited about it. So, I did actually something that I didn't realize was something they they really desired. But I, what I did is I proactively sent a note off to the managing partner of one of the offices and said, hey, I was in this session. I really wanted to. I was really hoping for an interview, disappointed to get one. If there's any chance that you reconsider, I'd love to come in. And oh, by the way, it's that's like one of the two or three key recruiting things that the company looks for. Like they want a bias towards action. Like that's mm. one of them. So, so, so the partner immediately responds like, "Absolutely, come on in." Right. And then sort of that was that was my my introduction. And then you know you go through you know Anderson Consulting, Accenture was a was a fantastic place for a career. Like they, they just have such an unbelievably great program to bring people in at junior levels and groom them. Right. And and you know they dangle out these promotions and and they dangle out opportunities in front of you and you get incredible opportunities. What they don't sell you in is actually the whole program is structured to fire at ninety nine percent of you. Because um, right? that's <laughs> what do you mean? Describe what, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, it's it's a pyramid, right? Like it's it's yeah. you know, it's the ultimate human pyramid scheme, right? <laughs> which is which is they're just whittling and they're making everybody work really really hard to get the next level, and then they whittle down. They work really really hard to get the next level, and they whittle down. And people choose and opt out because they realize this isn't a career for them, or sometimes they get let go. But it's just it's just a constant grind and grind and grind until you get to these sure. really senior levels. Of course. Again, as you're telling stories, that's not the story you're ever going to choose to tell. Um, right. Your your employee base, which is yeah, ninety nine percent, you're going to get fired. What you're going to say is like, what a great opportunity this is. And if you reach the upper echelons, right, you're a part of your managing director, whatever it is. But yeah, it was an absolutely tremendous place. And I had the initial view that said, two years, right? I'll go do two years. Then of course I'll go get my MBA, like almost like out of central casting, some dumb college mm-hmm. kid. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and after two years, I was like, boy, this was kind of fun, right? Mm. Like I liked the work, and I, you know, and I was an economics major in college. I didn't know how to code. I came to Accenture or Anderson Consulting. They, they stick me in a boot camp. I learned how to code. Turns out I have an affinity for it. 
I'm coding like nice. message. I'm yeah, I'm coding message oriented middleware. I'm coding TCP/IP, um, Ethernet to proprietary network communications. Like I'm at very low levels, and I'm cool. like, man, this is awesome. And then they, you know, and again, so I kind of geeked out on it a bit. But then, you know, I kept getting different and different opportunities. They came to me, you know, three years in. They said, hey, how would you feel about moving to Europe? Well, okay. <laughs> like, I feel sure. great about moving to Europe. Oh, that's great. When it's the right time in your life and you're open to it, that's a, be- that's a beautiful thing. You want to yeah. get that offer. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Right. So I went and did that. And then, you know, then another opportunity comes along. Another op- Next thing you know, 23 years has gone by. Wow. Right? Um, and I honestly, I was loving it. I had a great time. Um, I was, uh, I had a variety of roles, all of them interesting, all of them different. Um, and you know, my best and biggest career jumps happened when I would scare myself. Right. Mm. So mm-hmm. I always look for the thing that said, you know what? I haven't done that before. I'm a little nervous about it. Yes, that was actually, the, mm-hmm. yeah, just that, that little bit of being uncomfortable was like, okay, that's the sign I should probably do it. Yeah, um, Totally. That was my my internal mantra, right? That I would just repeat to myself. Um, and then, you know, and then, right? And then I got headhunted to go over to Oracle. The CEO was, at the time, was Mark Hurd, right? Working with his co-CEO, Safra Katz. I worked for a guy named Rich Girafo, um, who was the head of uh, technology sales in North America. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I was like, you know what? Oracle has the chance of being the last, the last global public cloud. Because mm-hmm. it's such a capital intensive thing to go invest into. And, right. and, and you know, I, I had been focusing on Oracle as a technology for years inside of Accenture. You know, I was, I was like, wow, what an interesting place to go and be part of the leadership team that says, okay, either we're going to make it or boy, I'm going to have front row seats to not making it. Yeah. Either, <laughs> I, I, either one of them's kind of a cool, it's, it's a great experience. And so I sort of took the chance and went over there and ran their ran their ProServe team for the technology uh, space for a bit, and then took on Channels and Alliances team for a little bit as well. And then when it was clear to me, at least, that Oracle's uh, positioning in public cloud wasn't necessarily going to become a world leader, they weren't going to go up and you know beat uh, AWS as clearly, right? Despite what maybe Larry Ellison's announcing in the uh, quarterly earnings, <laughs> I just I just I just saw like it's sort of one of those things. I just saw he announced that they're stealing market share from AWS. And I'm like, woof, that is a big statement to make. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun, like, I'm not even sure AWS has them on his, uh, has them on his, on their radar. On their radar. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, so like I went over there, I, I was all excited, but when, when I saw it wasn't really going to happen, I started to think about my next pivot in my career. And again, I actually had a choice. I was looking at going to a Deloitte. I really thought highly, and I do think highly of the people at Deloitte. I had been working with their teams for a long period of time and I, I had a, a lot of respect and admiration for what they were doing. And then I got a headhunter call saying, hey, have you thought about this NTT thing? Or, or would you look at this? And I was like, boy, I don't know. Right? Like, it, actually, honestly, my first reaction was NTT who? Like, what? I, I'm so glad that <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to say that aloud. So I'm glad that you said it because we also were like, wait, who? Right? Because yeah. in, in the States, right? It's just not, it's not a, like every single name, you, company name you've said so far, like I, I was, I would have said, yes, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about, but you're like NTT who? Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that was, that <laughs> was the reaction. I, yeah. I have to imagine, yeah, when you're looking at companies that could potentially acquire Postlight, you guys have got to be like, wait a minute. So <laughs> I have this, this company, I recognize this <laughs> company, and then, then what? Yes. So, I know. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that was my reaction. Right. It was literally, and I said to the recruiter, it was a porn fairy guy. I said to him, I was like, really? Like who? <laughs> and I was like, I think, aren't they the data center people? I think it was my actual message to him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, just go listen to what they have to say. 
And again, so then, you know, I'm, I'm debating and, and effectively what my choice came down to is like, I could go to a known brand with a certain, that had a fully functioning everything. And actually all I had to do was to learn how to be an operator inside of a Deloitte, which again, very fulfilling would have been a great place to go. Or, you know, when I see what NTT is trying to do in the market um, and I get to build something and yeah. oh, by the way, it's a little, it's a little scary. Because yeah. again, like that thirst factor, right? So I was like, I use yeah. the same decision-making process I always use, which is I want to get myself a little uncomfortable and push myself because that's when all my greatest growth happens. Yep. Yeah. And this this idea that you get to put your fingerprint, you get to influence, you're, you're making something new, right? You're, you're creating yeah. something. That was also very, very interesting to us as well. Yeah. It's such good advice. The easy way is not always the right choice because you're, you know, you're going to be so much more fulfilled if you look ahead and feel like, I'm not sure I can do this, but if I can, it's going to feel amazing. And those mo those points of inflection where you can take a big, you know, take a big leap and say, this isn't a sure thing. And that's what's going to make it satisfying on the other side. I mean, it's the same thing when we go talk to, you know, a CIO or a CTO who's like, you know, I need to make a material change in my business and I'm not sure if I should, you know, if I should do it, it might eat into our existing revenue streams. It might, you know, require a big upfront investment. Like, I'm not sure if I could do it, but it's the same decision-making process because if you're, if it's a sure thing, then it, you know, it's probably not going to be the right move or at least as satisfying as if you take that risk. No, it's, it's, it's proportional, right? Like it's, it's proportional. The, the effort, the effort you put in is equivalent to the reward you get out. Yeah. And like you guys, you guys have to know that as like you know having built up Postlight right as a right as a company like Completely. like what a, what a risk what risk a, and reward is is related that's yeah right. of course it's related and it's, right. you know it's funny I've got uh, I'm teenage well I guess one kid who's no longer a teenager is twenty but I've got two teenage girls and a twenty year old and you know they see they watch social media they have this false image of like these instant paths to success and riches and it's like guys like that's just it's just not real. It's not right. real. It's absolute fiction. It's true. Yeah. Maybe it happens one in a billion, right? Or maybe one in a several hundred million where someone's just like, oh yeah, you've got the look and you're going to go be famous and whatever. But like the reality is, is it's totally proportional to the effort you put in. Um, and there's no, there's exactly. no such thing as overnight success. Like Postlight, were you guys an overnight success? Oh, no, not at all. No, no. There were some dark, <laughs> dark moments for sure along the way. And a of lot course. of uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. Of a course. lot of uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, you know, I have a theory. I think that people who love being in client services and love being consulting have a higher have a higher comfort level with discomfort and a lower tolerance for like boredom. I mean, my line is like my personal life is pretty is pretty boring. I love my family, but it's pretty stable and boring. And I, but I need a little I need a little bit of chaos, a little bit of adventure at work, right? And and particularly in client services, you're just you're facing problems and risks and you're managing relationships and and it's it's incredibly engaging, right? And I think that if you have that mindset of like, oh, I'm going to be a little bit uncomfortable, getting comfortable with discomfort, I think is is just is just kind of part of it. Look, <laughs> not if, not everybody's looking for that path, right? Like the pyramid that you talked about, some people are like, "You know what? Right. I just want a calm, stable job where I am good at what I do and I do the same thing every day and I'm secure in that and I don't need to like, and that's okay. I mean, this is, that's okay. this is just about like temperament. And I mean, I think, you know, some people take the entrepreneurial route to go to a big company. It, it really depends on who you are. But yeah, I mean, the, that being comfortable, being a little bit uncomfortable, taking your risk and going, you know what, I'm going to do this thing. And if it goes well, 
oh, it's going to be great. But you know what? I also might get fired. Like this might not go well. And I, yes. might, look, I might look like a clown. Like we, we, we you know, we often yeah. talk about like the position that our clients are in where they're like, you know, advocating for big budgets and they're putting, they're putting their, their reputation uh, you know, inside the organization on the line and, you know, and their general resume. And like, that's a, those risk takers are the ones that can make those big changes. Like those are the ones we look for. And we try to say to them, like, we will increase, maximize the chances that this will actually land, right. That this will go well. Um, that that's a huge part of it. You don't see that a lot, especially in big companies. No, it's, it's funny, right? Cause you're looking for the entrepreneurial spirits yes. that exist in corporations, right? So it's this weird thing because to survive and thrive in large corporations, you're actually constantly having risk beaten, being beaten out of you effectively. Yes. <laughs> right? yeah. But like, but like the reality is, is like you need, you need those risk takers to actually move organizations forward. Absolutely. Um, if, and, and finding those folks, right. It's, you're right. It's like, Gene, it's like finding like-minded, you're like, okay, like consultants are, you said it really well, right? Like you, you have to be super comfortable with being uncomfortable and you have to be super comfortable with taking degrees of risk, but it's about, managing that risk in a way that like you know you can't control all the things but you can start to there are definitely ways to be aware of it mitigate it constantly track against it and then and then take that leap um yes. and it, it is right it's it is a weird it's a weird balancing act and my god like when you find the client that gets that and it's like no i have to take this risk it's like you want to hug them and hold on to them because you can um, move mountains together you, you yes can move mountains yeah. together like you can yes. do you can do it together yeah let's go do big yeah. things yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, when you're in a constant state of potential failure and discomfort, there's some element of having to like manage your own psychology <laughs> around what is happening and, and what's going on. And, and Aaron, you sent out a book. Uh, I love this because I'm I'm a bit of a self development nerd, so I absolutely love this. You, you sent you sent out to your leaders, including me and Chris. You know, some nice NTT data swag and a book called "Be the Hero," which I will will actually for those of you listening, we will link to the book in the show notes. And you included a note which said, you know, this book has been part of a, a journey that I've been on that influences the way that I lead. And it's about storytelling, which we've talked about on this show. And I read the book in one sitting. I absolutely gobbled it up. I loved it. And I was, I was wondering if you could if, if, if you could tell us a little bit about like what that journey has been and what why you shared why you shared this book uh, versus all, all the others out there with your leaders and how, how you think about it. Yeah, well, it, it comes it comes back to that risk taking. Right. And uh, and the scariness of kind of what we have to go do at times. Right. So the reason I shared the book is I really do think that everything in life. Um, and our internal narratives that we have, the external narratives that we have, the way we talk to clients, the way we talk to our teams, the way we have to act as leaders, we are constantly framing up stories, right? Um, yes. And you can go back to, I think, as far away, as far back in, you know, in history as you want to go to, right? This is sort of the art of being human, which is crafting these narratives for people to rally around or at least to identify with and to start to say okay i slot in here and now i'm part of this greater story and i understand where this greater story is going and you know so i i think this is so fundamental to being human and then if you step back from it right maybe at the most simplistic level you know what what i like about this be the hero book um, and we should actually say like there's not even a sponsorship from the be the hero book team here on this thing yeah, like we're just we're just selfishly we just, we just plugging like it. it yeah, yeah. Selfless, selflessly <laughs> selflessly plugging it noah blumenthal should pay us some type of uh, residual the author right? so, <laughs> but but like what he puts in that book is there's effectively at, again at the most binary level two types of stories there's the hero story and there's the victim story yes um and you know we've all seen people whether again it's in our family 
whether it's at work, whether it's with a client, that embrace both those types of stories and it changes their outlook on life. It changes how they engage with people. It engages. Uh, it, it changes. It changes their interaction with the world because it's basically the view that says things are done to me, um, and yes. they're therefore all out of my control, and I can't figure out how to get past any of it. Or I'm going to take control of my destiny. Right. Those are the two possible story lenses. Um, yep. And uh, so again, you know, I. Coming into a new organization, and again, like we get great companies like Postlight as an acquisition, and and we pick up Vector Form, we pick up Nexian, we pick up, you know, our latest acquisition, a company called Apicero, um, a MuleSoft company. We get all these great companies, and it's scary, right? Like so now, right, right, it's scary. It's scary as the company being acquired. It's scary as the leader that has to bring all the stuff together. And so the way we tell and build common narratives and what's our mission and what's our journey and like, this isn't being done to you. This is a chance for you to imprint back onto the bigger organization. So important to get right for ourselves. Uh, and then so important to get right, you know, again, as we, as we learn how to tell stories to our clients yes. around the journeys that we're on. So to me, storytelling is, I don't know, it's like breathing, right? Like we have to be able to do it. And again, it's happening in our heads, whether we realize it or not. So might as well vocalize it. Right. Our brains make meaning, right? The, our brains take in all the observations and information that we have, and then we may make meaning in, in, in our brains and by creating that narrative, right? Yep. And, and it's so easy to make the narrative, <laughs> the victim narrative, right? Of course. Like this client is being unreasonable. This is not what we agreed to. This person is so cranky. This is the hardest client I've ever had. Hardest okay. client I've ever had. <laughs> this is never going to work out. Why are we doing this work? Like, like this is, I mean, listen, I'm, and I'm saying that I'm, this is stuff, like things that I that I have thought, that I've sunk into. And, then, oh, and Every and day of the week. Every day of the <laughs> yeah. week, right? And, you know, and then there's an opposite story, which is like, here, here's an opportunity to learn something. Here's an opportunity to do something better. And I think one of the points the book makes is that either one of those narratives actually might be true. Like that the client actually might have bad motivation like like you know but you can't know the truth you can't actually know the truth but what you can do is choose which 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 narrative you're going to tell yourself and your team about because and and the one that you choose is going to affect the way that you react and and behave right and that that's what what kind of matters it's like it's like actually not about truth it's just it's about managing your psychology which is which is kind of like the ultimate you know ninja mind trick well, it's actually so and now now actually it's funny because so that is completely the right message to take away from the book, right? Like and it goes back from the okay, so the book's sort of binary in terms of victim versus hero mentality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the the point you just made is actually it's it's never that binary. Um you can have multiple truths. Yes. The question the question is so what's the narrative that you're gonna choose to deploy that actually moves the greater good along to the better outcome. And as a leader, right, as leaders, like you guys, me, right, as we lead teams of people, our ability to pick the storylines and the the narrative that helps the organization understand the heroic message is unbelievably important to people, right? Yes. Like it's, it's, it's critical, right? And so to me, that's the, that is the crux of the, of the, of the whole message of the book. Absolutely. I completely agree. I also, it, what I took away from the book is it's a, it's very empowering actually to think I have more agency and more control over my choices than it sometimes feels in this moment. And it doesn't require a change in the external circumstances. It's, it is literally just about the story you're telling about how you are approaching this particular 
you know, event or this particular, you know, situation. And it puts more at hand. Like there's more that you can do. And we, I mean, again, we, we deal with it all the time in our work internally at the company. It's people who say, well, you know, I can't do X because this stakeholder doesn't agree, or I can't do Y because my team leader said I couldn't. But the reality is like, you actually have a, a lot more control and a lot more ability than you think you do if you just change the approach. Yep. And he illustrates it so well. He uses this you know, example of uh, trying to get a, a reservation at a restaurant that's packed and they lost the reservation. And you can you can react in you know a frustrated from a frustrated angry place, and you're not going to make a lot of headway. Or you can you know really go into an empathetic place where you try to tell a different story about what that host is going through, and the outcome you can't say anything for sure, but your chances that you that you're going to affect a much more positive outcome go through the roof. And this it's something that everybody can do, you know, work personal, whatever, like it's, it just, it's applicable in so many different areas. You're right. It's work and it can become very deeply personal. Um, And I know I shared, I shared a story with you guys off the podcast about the personal side of it for me. Um, And this is something, again, this isn't something that's always natural, right? You have to kind of train your, train your brain and you've got some deep visceral reactions. And I'm like, just, I'll I'll share the story again, because I, I think it brings it to life, right? It's the it's my personal example of the getting into a restaurant, right? Uh, just changing the mentality. So, you know, my 20-year-old son came back from college last summer, and he's got a tattoo. <laughs> As 20-year-olds do. As 20 years old. I'm not, I'm not passing judgment. Yeah, unbeknownst, uh, totally unbeknownst to me. Well, actually, to be fair, he had talked about it, but I thought he was bluffing. Um, <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> I mean... It says a lot that he spoke to you about it at all. I mean, that's that's you know. true. Yeah, we've got it. We've got a good that he actually shares too much usually. But yes, um, so <laughs> I'll take that. If, if he's if he's listening, don't stop sharing. But yeah, like you know, it's uh, he shares he shares way too much. But right, so and again, not knocking anyone. That, I'm not making judgment on tattoos. But for my family, right, we actually had a pretty visceral. Like our immediate reaction was this viscerally negative reaction. And again, getting very personal, my wife is the daughter of Holocaust survivors. And in her mind, right, in her mind, literally going through her mind is the last person in our family to have a tattoo was forcibly done to them, right? This is, I mean, this is very, very, yeah, this is deep stuff. Yeah, Yeah. this is, yeah, this is, this is at like such a fundamental psychological level, right? And, you know, so, and then as a good supportive spouse, I'm kind of like, wow, I can imagine how, you know, I'm trying to be empathetic, right? So I can imagine how my wife is feeling and I'm, and I can't believe my son's done this, right? And so, and I, and, and so we're having this reaction. And when, you know, when you look at the tattoo, it's a tattoo on his ankle and it's of a stingray and there's a story there, right? So I'll come back to that side. But anyway, so like, this is, this is the reaction. And so, you know, my wife and I are in a mentally kind of, kind of dark place. Our son, who's 20, is probably like, like, yeah, he's a young adult, but he still craves parental, uh, you know, confirmation that he's doing the right thing. And approved. Yeah, yeah, sure. Of course. Right? Yeah. Like, like any kid, right? And yeah. so he's not getting that from his parents, right? Like he's got <laughs> this, he can see, right? Like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a problem. A, Things, it's, it's icy. A it, there's yeah. Things are cold and icy in the house. Things aren't good. He knows he hasn't done something that he's, that you're happy about. Yep. Right. So just this awful thing, awful reaction from us. You know, my son's, yeah, he's on ice, whatever. So interestingly, I'm referencing the book, right? So I'm reading the book at the exact same time this is all happening. And so I start to actually try to apply the book thinking on this stuff. So now I'll tell the story, the same thing from a different perspective. So 
my son at the end of his freshman year in college got stung by a stingray. Like it scarred his, it scarred him, right? Like, so it went into his ankle, big barbs, whatever, right? Goes in, serrates his, serrates his ankle. Yeah, he needs to No, it's, and it's painful. He needs stitches. And it's a pretty, it scared him. It actually scared him away from surfing for a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, so he would have been thinking about, hey, I kind of want to commemorate this, this sort of life-changing event or like that I got stung by something. And oh, by the way, there's a scar there and maybe I might want to beautify the scar versus just having a scar on my ankle. So the now, tattoo is over the scar. The tattoo's over the scar. It's of a stingray, right? It incorporates the scar into the tattoo. But what's cool about it too, so then, you know, what I didn't know, because I didn't actually seek to understand at the time, is that my son had reached out to my youngest daughter, who, you know, 15-year-old girl living through two and a half years of COVID. She's got, you know, whatever 15-year-old girl, two and a half years of COVID things going on in her head. But like, she's sure. not she's not in the best of places mentally, but she really likes she really likes art and she really likes drawing stuff. And I didn't know that he had approached her and said, Hey, could you design uh, a tattoo? Um, and wow. so she That's actually amazing. sent him, Oh, it was unbelievable. Right. So yeah. she sent him, she sent him three different possible stingray designs. He picked one of them. Again, I never got into this initially because I was in such a bad place. Um, she, he picked one of them. He chose her design to put on his body permanently, right. To, I mean, to beautiful, to beautify the scar. And, you know, now you step back as a parent, right? So as a parent, the coolest thing on the, in the universe is when your kid decides to uplift one of the other kids, yes. right? He, he chose to do that. Yes. Um, and, you know, so now, now, Gina, to the earlier point, right? Both things are true, right? right? Both things are true. My wife's family, horrible, horrible experience in the Holocaust. My son has gone out and done this beautiful thing. And a tribute to his younger sister and has made her feel incredible and is beautifying a scar on his body. And both things are true. The narrative that I choose to go forward with is going to reframe how my family views this stuff and how we operate as a family. And once I kind of mentally got through all that stuff, of course, the narrative I'm going to pick is the second narrative. And I went from being ashamed of what my son had done mm-hmm. um, to being unbelievably proud of what my son has done. Yes. I mean, that's a total 180, right? Like a pride is the opposite of shame. I mean, that's that's incredible. Right. And all the facts on the ground had not changed. None of the facts had changed. The story changed. That's and right. the lens in which I chose to view the story had changed. Um, and all the facts are exactly the same, right? Yep. Anyway, so, but that's, to me, that's the, that's the very, very personal example of you know, thinking about applying it in my own life. And then also then that's how do you keep applying it in the work, in the work environment? Of course, again, I don't get it right. I don't get it right initially all the time. Like, you know, I'm a human, right? Like you guys are like, we get, you have these negative reactions. Like the client said, what? Right? Like the client, the the client wouldn't sign the change request that was completely reasonable. Like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay. Right. So we, we get this stuff, but like, again, the, the, the constant training of our minds Yes. Um, to tell the right narratives and to pick the right narratives out of this stuff that really advance everybody um, in a much much better place. To me, that's that's it, and that's the whole that's the whole deal. That's life. It's the whole game. That's life. It's really true. Uh, when you shared this story with with us, it was leadership meeting, and I, I remember like I sort of perked up because I was like, oh, this isn't your run of the mill 
like, how you doing, Aaron? How's the family? Like, right? Because, you know, you have those sort of like before the meeting, how's it going? And it's actually interesting to listen to how people respond to the question, how are you? How's it going? Because you because you get a little peek into the stories they're sort of telling themselves. But but this, I could tell that this was a very conscious and, and, and you know, I mean, I think as a leader, like there's some vulnerability in saying like this happened with my kids and, and this is how I felt about it. Like, you know. And but it was such a good example of this of this reframing. And we were talking about some challenges in the business, right? Like the market, there, there, there are challenges right now. And like, how, how do we reframe? That was really meaningful. I mean, one of the things that really struck, stuck out for me in the book and in what you just said, when you are in a frustrated or stressed position, it is very difficult to try to seek to understand or be curious about why, like about the person's motivation. My, Michael Shane, yes. who's our head of strategy on our team, he always has assume positive intent. Start from the base level that everyone involved is just trying to do their best, right? And like, and and so if, you know, cause I, I turn to Chris now and I actually use this phrase, I'm telling myself the story that this person left us with a box of garbage okay help me reframe the story like i think i said this to him like this week we had that conversation well, yesterday we had that conversation literally yesterday i'm like i'm telling myself this story that this person left me a box of garbage because they, because they just don't care i know that that's not true like like how did we get here let's be curious about what and, and like so when you got curious you started to understand you got this whole other context about your you know the your daughter and the design and you know, and even just, I mean, it's so key, but it is very difficult that, that your brain, especially just in the course of business, when you have just a million things flying at your, at your face, it's so difficult to get to stop and say, whoa, 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 I'm having a very sharp negative reaction here. Let me just like assume positive intent, be a little curious and, and, and be open up and wonder a little bit about what's actually happening here and like what, like what we can do about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, one way to do that is just to give yourself a minute, like give yourself time yeah. because yeah. so often when you're just reacting on the fly and, and I've been in this position with clients where something comes at me and I'm like, my gut is like push against that. No, we shouldn't do that. We can't make that change. You have that visceral reaction and then you just go to that place and you, and you go with it. Sometimes right. you got to step away for a second a and give yourself, I mean, even 30 seconds, you know, but it's like, I want to write this email. Let me draft it. And then I'm going to wait <laughs> until the morning and I'm yeah. going to reread it. And sometimes you're like, I can't believe I almost said that. Like yeah. I, you know, I need to, I need to reframe things, but it, but it can be really hard to reframe like on a dime. And sometimes you, you need that minute. Oh yeah, like you've you've got it. You're effectively fighting fight or flight instincts, right? Like that's yes. exactly you're, exactly you're, your blood pressure's up, your heart rate's elevated. Like you feel like you're under attack. So what do you do, right? You've got two possible responses. And, and actually, I would argue that being a senior leader and being an executive, whether it's you know of a of a startup, whether of a design engineering agency, whether it's you know a multi thousand person organization, we all have to learn how to actually stop the fight or flight instincts yes become curious right yes. assume positive intent mm -hmm. and and navigate right into a solution i actually i remember i was in in right after i joined ntt data i was a meeting in a meeting with our ceo bob Pryor, um, and it was it was to deal with a conflict right like we were we had uh we had a bunch of uh, of consulting teams that were really pissed off at it <laughs> like mm -hmm. they weren't they felt like they weren't getting any support and Bob, Bob immediately diffuses mm -hmm. the opening meeting by saying, okay, so Barry, who's our, our, our CIO, Barry, you're playing the role of the villain in this meeting because, because someone has to play the role of the villain. So it's your turn right now. 
Um, and like it immediately reframed everyone's fight or flight instincts into okay, like now oh, we're all playing our he, roles. Well, he <laughs> he called he basically he called, called out the out. victim mentality at the very beginning of the meeting in a very gentle right. way. But it it makes everyone sort of sit back like yeah. okay, yeah, Barry's not Barry's it is not evil. They're, right. they're not they're, they're, like we should all assume positive intent. That's a good yes. reminder, right? Like so, <laughs> that's a great technique. Oh, it's a great technique, right? Like you know, and Barry laughed about, it, but Bob Bob diffused everything and got us to a point where we could talk productively, right? Uh, at the at the outset. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so true. I also I, I mean, love that. that the um, you know, being empathetic, being curious, like you know, if a client comes to us, uh, you know, they're being unreasonable. Like you have to put yourself in their shoes and think. Maybe they're having a tough day. Maybe their boss is really coming down on them. Maybe they have to, you know, lay off people tomorrow. Like, like there's so right. many possibilities for where they're at. And when you're feeling that empathy, I mean, our business is so much about relationships, right? We partner with our clients. And so if there's trust in that relationship and connection, chances of success are, you know, 10x, right? And in order sure. for there to be that connection, in order for there to be that trust, if you approach somebody with empathy and say like, hey, like, it sounds like you're in a tough position. What can we do together? Versus no, this doesn't work for us. Like what, what what's going on? You know, what do you got for me? Like that, that the, just the tone and the approach, there's, there's relationship building. And then there's, you know, you're killing me right now. What are you doing to me? Like, we got to <laughs> You got to You got to come meet, you know, you got to, you got to meet mm-hmm. people kind of where they are. And God, I mean, in, in the business world, there's so many factors and there's so many pressures um, and it's, it's impossible really to know what's going on with someone, but if you assume that they are dealing with difficult bosses and vendor and all the things, right. Uh, pressures, yep. budget market, pressures, yeah. budget pressures, then you can come to them and say, let's solve this together. I mean, that's always once you know, should be our approach with, with our clients, especially, and this is true for internal teams too. I mean, our, uh, you know, we, we're always, and particularly in this remote world, how do we get our people together and build trust and get to know one another and just feel comfortable enough that when things are hard, that they can approach one another with with empathy and understanding and a collaborative let's find a solution versus a exactly. finger pointing. Uh, this is you know through the whole stack you know internal uh, at leadership level and also outside external with clients. So it's it's funny it's just my reaction right because it's funny you say that the when you think about clients that are looking for potential companies to work with them what do they do they go out they put out RFPs they put out RFIs all those RFPs and RFIs are focused on asking what it's going to be like to work together right and it's. Yes. And, and it's all like, you know, what's your methodology? What's your approach? What's your team structure? What's your governance model? Blah, blah, all that stuff, right? They, they, all, they all ask the same things, to be fair. Um, mm-hmm. The most interesting clients I've ever had has been focused on, so what's it going to be like to work together when things go horribly wrong? Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> right. Because right? that's actually the right question, because guess what? Everything's good. The, there's always going to be something in the project that doesn't go per plan. The plan is wrong the first day of the project. It's like that's right. It's true. <laughs> it's true. The thing you sold, it's already changed by the time it got signed yeah, and kicked off. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Different. Things are going to be different. Right? That's right. So the always the questions, and then that, be, and then that's become when the real dialogues actually start. I used to actually tell my teams, I was like, force the force the painful stuff to happen as early as you can in the project. Just even yes. if it's a if it's a not a serious thing, but just force it, force the the test of the process. Um, yeah. So that because then you can work through it. Used to it. You work through it. Yeah. yeah. It, and it all comes back to the mentality, the empathy, yes. the the storytelling techniques that we use. Um, and and who would have thought, right? Who would have thought that you know? Because again, I started as a, as a coder, 
doing doing ethernet to, to proprietary network protocols that's like, so good to, to go from that to like really psychological type stuff <laughs> uh, i didn't know that you that i so good that makes me feel closer to you aaron i love that you are you're a coder and you are doing low level network programming that's amazing i that love coding very happy. and i and i will fan i when i when i get stuck in my victim stories right when i get stuck in those i will mentally fantasize about life being uh, being back as a coder again i was like life was so simple yeah right? i i had code i had bugs i could debug it i didn't right. have to worry about it. There are no humans. There are no right. humans in the exactly. You either you run the program and it works, or it doesn't. It's yes, that's right. Very super, super satisfying. No complexity. Yeah. It's all right. right. It's all right. Um, so, I mean, as we as we wrap this up, this has been such a good conversation. I feel like we, we could go much longer. But I'm thinking about you know keying off this last point that you made is like figuring out how are things going to go when when things go wrong. It, you know, if you're if you're a leader, you're a CIO, you're looking at partner to get something done in your organization. You got a big budget. It's multi year. It's high risk. You might get promoted or fired at the end. What would you look at? Uh, you know, through your RFP process, you get a bunch of responses or you, you start to talk to, to vendors. What, what are some of the things that you look for and the things that you, you know, are, are flags for you as, as you do that? Boy, that is that is a great question. I'll answer by giving you kind of a, a story of the of what I think was the best RFP process I participated in to actually answer that question. Yeah. Great. And, and at the time, I don't think I appreciated it fully. But, uh, and I'm going to mention a client here. I probably shouldn't mention a client. Well, actually, I won't. I'll just say it was a large San Francisco-based clothing retailer, which- Great, that works. That that narrows it in. Um, So large San Francisco-based clothing retailer was doing a a heart surgery new implementation of fulfillment and predictive applications and really like, you know, the heart of like what what assortments are getting sent out to their stores, et cetera, et cetera. So it was in the guts of, of their business and had a material- impact on whether they increased revenue, decreased revenue, increased cash, decreased cash. So it was a pretty important project. They had on, on their side, they had assembled 250 people to be in the project, right? Within the wow. client. This is just the client. And they were looking for a partner to help guide them. They did the normal, like, here's an RFP, let's respond, whatever. But then what they did is they said, okay, now we're going to come play house together. Right. Oh, interesting. Let's so they, try they, it out. they they selected two. Right. Uh, at the time, I was with Accenture. Right. So Accenture was one, and then I think IBM was the other. I forget who it was. And they said, "We're going to play house with you guys, and we're going to come in, and we're going to do a week of project work together." This is um, so I mean, smart. This is really smart. Oh, it's fantastic. Can... Right. Yeah. And and as a consultant, right? Like there was no BSing your way through a really nicely written response. That's there right. There's no, there's no a one hour presentation that sort of said, okay, here's our governance model. We're going to do two in the box and like none of that stuff, right? It was. Right. You're, you're in it together. You're in it together and you know, like, it's like, it's like speed dating, right? Like you just know. Yeah, like, you're doing the like, worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's either chemistry, there's no chemistry. That's right. And and there's either you handle the stressful stuff, or you don't handle the stressful stuff, and mm-hmm. and you deal with the problems, or you don't deal with the problems, and how do we navigate this together, and how do we reframe the teams, and you know all that stuff. Um, so to me, that was probably one of the more interesting proposal processes I've ever participated in, and ultimately very effective, right? Like you know the project they they selected our team, the project was ultimately very successful. You know just just an incredible way to really know, like, like, what's this going to be like? So I think it's really hard to figure it out through written responses, because ultimately, at the end of the day, like, this is about trusting that the people you're looking across the table from are going to work with you to get to the outcome. Exactly. Like, that's right. That's it. This is at the end of the day, like, again, the tech is kind of the tech. And yep, you can do 
te- technology is like religious wars, right? Like they all yes. kind of work. Right. They all do. They all do the same thing. Right. right? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. Right. Like, you know, what you can do in Java, what you can do in C, what you can do in React, like, okay, whatever. Like they're all just, they're just various factions of different religions, but whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. It's, it is, it's ultimately the, the people to people connection and, are you know? Are you Gina? Are you Chris? Going to do what you say you're going to do? Uh, am I going to say what I'm going to do as the client? Right? Like, is this going to work? And to me, that's that's where it gets the most interesting. You know, I, I joke with our team. And by the way, like when when our teams produce proposals, when they do um, sales pitches, whatever, you know, I'm like, you know, a methodology is not a unique sales proposition. It's that's like right. a belly. It's a belly button. Everybody has a belly button. Everybody um, has a belly button. It's true. It's so true. <laughs> yep. Right. Like that's not, that's not different. So like you got to reach, you got to reach deeper. Right. And you got to keep going into, so like, why are they going to believe that we can do this and why are we the right partner and what's really going to be unique about it and how are we going to get through this? And so to me, that's, that's the crux of it. And you know, there's clients that are new to the process and they don't know to ask that stuff. There are teams that are new to the process. They don't know how to sell that stuff, but at the end of the day, that's what, that's that's what, that's what everybody's looking for. Yes. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean it's true. The proof is in the pudding. It's very, very well said, and I, and I mean a true partner is going to make you you the client's problem their own. They're going to be clear communicators. And they're going to push toward outcomes and deliverables. That is all true. It's true. Yep. I think it's I think it's great advice, and I I would love I'd love to be in a playhouse situation. It's funny we we actually don't like the like taking some information, go off to our little cave, make a shiny proposal, and then present it back. We we try to sit with our clients, you know, elbow to elbow, and understand and, and do some of the work even up front because you just get to know how we're going to work together after we sign. But it's not not it's not a, the processes aren't always set up that way. But you know, if you if you haven't hired a partner or if you you know haven't done it a lot, I mean, this is great advice is to really understand like how, how we're going to work together. Absolutely. Yeah. Aaron, this has been amazing. I'm thank so you glad so much. that we got some time in your busy schedule. Oh, thank you guys. Uh, I was really looking forward to, to this. Um, some just really, really great stuff here. Yeah, I just really, I really enjoy talking with you. Thank you. Likewise. I really appreciate it, guys. Great. If you're listening and what you heard resonates and maybe you've got something you want to talk through, a tricky proposal, a big risk that's coming up, you're thinking about that scary thing that's in front of you and you want to talk to somebody, please reach out. We love this stuff. We would love to talk to you and hear about your challenges. You can hit us up at hello at postlight.com. We love reading those emails. We may even pull Aaron into a first call or two, uh, depending on the problem. I'd Um, love it. Cool. Thank you again. This was great. Uh, and we will see you all soon. Thanks, everybody.